Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. Recording in the Carl Chevrolet Studios, you can check out their inventory at carlchevrolet.com, carlchevroletstewart.com. Maybe go out and social distance your way around the lot in Ankeny or Stewart. After a several week hiatus, including a one episode where we talked about my time spent in Kansas City when I hardly spent any time in Kansas City, football and random things is back. We did it. Hello, Jeff Woody. I'm great. I'm, 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 I, I assume that you asked, how are you doing? My bad. I should have asked you. I've just had such little human interaction that I've forgotten how to talk. Well, I'm glad that you're able to do it or have been able to figure it out so far. This is practicing. This just is re-practicing how to be a human in, uh, in these strange and unprecedented times. We're also joined on the podcast by, uh, by the great Jay Jordan. What's up, my brother? I'm doing very well. Are you uh, staying healthy? I mean, I assume you are. I would feel like I would have heard if you hadn't, but. <laughs> yes, yes. Staying uh, healthy, six feet away from everybody, even uh, even carry a mask around. Oh, man. There you go. Jay, Jay's going all out out here. Uh, all right, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about football. But uh, first thing I do want to touch on is obviously the NFL draft happened over the weekend. Um, five Cyclones signing with the with, with NFL teams. Um, Jay, I'll start with you. Was there anybody that jumped out to you that, uh, you know, land, some of those landing spots? Steve Wortel with the Lions, uh, Julian Jones with the Eagles, Josh Knipfel and Marcel Spears with the Bengals, and then Ray Lima with the Miami Dolphins. Um, jumped out in what respect? Just that maybe somewhere they'd have an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, not necessarily. I mean, there's. I mean, when you're signing as a, as a free agent, you you've got, um, you know, you're you're considered a, a long shot, and one of the advantages of signing as a free agent as opposed to being the last uh, late round draft pick is that you get to choose in uh, places where you think you might have a better fit. Um, I think it's interesting that that the two guys signed uh, with Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. It was uh, and Spears, mm-hmm. and and two guys at the same roster uh, from that same spot. I, I feel like that that's a that's a really good spot for those those two guys. I think that team uh, needs depth and needs uh, those type of players. And when you see two guys from the same school go there, uh, you know there's some sort of relationship. It's also uh, an Ohio-based team, uh, which makes you think of coach Campbell and that connection there maybe a little bit of trust with that program those players so uh, I, I like that spot for them what about you Jeff I don't this is this is call me realist call me pessimist call me whatever the goal has to be I think the goal has to be understood by people that are like oh x so and so got cut the likelihood of an undrafted free agent making a roster is really, really low. And so you're really just trying to increase your odds. The other thing that you're trying to do is just calibrate the goals appropriately. So uh, are you, so like Allen, when he went to um, Jacksonville Jacksonville right away, he had a really good preseason and then he got cut and then re-signed to the practice squad. So they had to terminate the deal that he had before and then sign him to a new deal, which is a practice squad deal. Then he went up to Green Bay, was on the practice squad again, and all of a sudden there he gets a shot, which was what, a year and a half after he actually got initially signed as an undrafted free agent to Jacksonville. So I think the, the understanding has to be that as an undrafted free agent, you're getting paid 
now relative and total air quotes around this peanuts so you're in comparison to what the active roster guys are getting so like active roster i don't know league minimum is probably somewhere around four hundred and seventy thousand or something like that if you're um, an active roster guy which is an absurd amount of money huge amount of money if you're a practice squad guy still a good living like 60 to 95 somewhere in there depending on how long you've been there maybe you're over 100 which is a good living it's not you know, if you're if you're an NFL player and you have the option of 480,000 versus 70,000, obviously 70,000 is great. It's I mean, absolutely nothing to sneeze at. But it could be five times, five, six, seven times that amount. So when you're when you're going to get that, when, when you're going to be an undrafted free agent, you know that you are making 70,000. They have already by draft rule by the CBA, they have to sign these guys to a certain amount of money and uh, to a certain term. And so they're automatically due this amount of money. So if you're a sixth round draft pick and you've got, um, I don't know, let's call it $700,000 in your signing bonus or something like that. Again, stupid amount of money. And then there's some other kid who's at your exact same position that's making $70,000 versus $700,000. Which one of the team do you think they're going to give a longer leash to? to see if they're going to be a fit. So even if as an undrafted free agent, you might be a better fit, you better be damn sure. Like it's not a walk on scholarship situation. It's way bigger than that because they've already invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into you. Uh, so the expectation for these guys, I mean, maybe like we're, I think Wartel probably has the best shot because it's such a specialized position. If he beats the guy out, that one, it's such a, I mean, what's your starting long snapper make probably in the near the league minimum yeah. so you're you're not a huge over overhaul you're not in like a seven-year contract for 22 million dollars in a long snapper so if you're you potentially get an active roster spot right away but most of the time these guys are going to be getting there to try and prove that they deserve to be on the practice squad and then once they're on the practice squad and they've signed a contract like that then they can prove that they belong and now the leash that, that long leash that that sixth or seventh round pick or fourth or whatever pick that you know let's call it a lazy turd that they picked and it's just a talented guy but he's lazy hard working you know josh kniffel you have that guy who's outperformed him now for six months halfway through the season or the entire season at that point then they can make the roster switch to be like okay we gave you know tommy smith from you know whatever xyz university a chance for a year he hasn't done it this wortel kid or it's not Wartel, this Kniffle kid has done a really good job for a year. Let's pump, bump him up. So the dynamics are different. So when you're signed as an undrafted free agent, there's much less invested. Therefore, there is much less risk to cut. So, um, well, and I think you have to add in too, especially with just the way times are right now, where you're probably not going to get the OTAs uh, and the things like that that you normally would be getting as an undrafted free agent. Mm -hmm. You know, the rookie mini camps and stuff like that. Uh, where now all of a sudden it's like, how do you prove yourself as an undrafted free agent to even get an opportunity to be on the roster at the end right. of the day? Right. So it's it's weird. Um, I would say there's uh, there. I think there. Each spot has each guy has a good spot, but I don't think the expectation should be like even if because I mean Allen is that good example. He was clearly balling out in Jacksonville, but they had signed D.D. Westbrook that same year, and mm -hmm. so like. D.D. Westbrook was a first, what, a first or second round pick. And he, first or second rounders are automatically seven-figure guys. So you have a guy who's making $2.2 million or Allen who's making a rookie or, you know, a rookie undrafted free agent salary. You have to be 40 times 
the player that that $2.2 million guy is. So even if you're two times, even if you're double as good, it's not near enough financially to make the league or make the team go, you know what, you're right. And so that even goes to veteran guys. I mean, the only ones that you might have the, the upper hand on is if they want to dump a salary and it's like a 37-year-old offensive guard that really wants to just dump they, they want to dump the salary up. They're just looking for a reason to get rid of them. There's your opportunity to potentially snag yourself a spot, but the likelihood of that is pretty low because undrafted free agent. Do you have anything to add to that, Jay? Yeah, I, I agree entirely with that. Um, the, the goal is to make the practice squad. The other unique feature of the practice squad is each of those guys uh, can be picked up uh, from another team's practice squad. Uh, so if there's an injury situation in another city and there's a guy sitting on somebody's practice squad that they want, for instance, Allen going up to Green Bay um, from from Jacksonville. They're kind of the first pool of free agents that gets picked over uh, in those situations. So so it, it can be advantageous. It's a long road to get there, but that's what you want, and uh, that that's how you want to develop. I'll tell you one thing that stood out to me. So fans, uh, and, and even us at, at some level, uh, not that we're not fans, we are. <laughs> but uh, I'm completely impartial. Jay. Yeah, can can be uh, can be frustrated that that our guys didn't get drafted because they feel like these are really good productive players for our school, and some guy from Lenore Ryan goes in the third round and don't understand why they would take big school production over small school. Those types of stuff. Put all that stuff stuff aside for a second. We have our Iowa State has six guys in the league right now, right? We got Allen, Willie Harvey. Uh, David. Paul Wills, yeah, Keem, uh, David, yeah, David and Hakeem, and uh, AJ, uh, Will Kalechi, yeah, well, Colet- yeah, Colet- he's not on a team right is now. Leonard, but is Leonard still kicking around? I don't think so. There's, there's another young guy, and I can't remember who it is. Um, but there's six guys in the, in the league right now, and then we just had five signed priority. That's the other important thing, these are all priority free agents, they signed right after the draft. So, so last year you had Payne and PV. Uh, Willie, um, Eaton, uh, Marchie go as, uh, or Marchie was here before, uh, but they all went and they got tryouts to see if they could get a free agent contract, and only one of them did. Willie's story is pretty amazing because he went from a tryout to the free agent practice squad to active roster. Pretty amazing, uh, amazing role there. But the fact that there's there's five priority free agents, which he bumps them just a little bit up on, on Jeff's scale, uh, there, uh, you could view them as possible developmental practice squad stashes. Uh, I think it's pretty solid. That's eleven Cyclones now uh, on a roster in some capacity. That's a move forward in the development process of the talent, and I think that'll just rise. And you can expect that moving forward. Well, that's also the the, the your best draft class class is uh, outside of Hakeem and David. Your best draft classes in the past forever at Iowa State, maybe there's been a couple, but are in the next couple years. Yeah. Because you've got guys like yeah. Brock, you've got all three tight ends, you've got your really talented offensive linemen, you've got your really talented defensive linemen like any, like Bailey, um, like a couple of young running backs. A couple young running backs, you know, a guy like Brees. You have your cor- both of your corners, which are potential guys. You have Eisworth, you have Mike Rose. I mean, your, your guys. Your, your potential draft picks that are more, uh, pro, and obviously Brock. I mean, so you have your your more uh, high level draft pick guys are going to be in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it, it it is one of those things that like I don't know it's it's cool and now to me now the fun begins you know if, if I'm a guy and this is again now let's take it back to college this is the walk-on mentality where you're like okay you had 252 or 257 or however many picks it was guys that you thought were better than me F you, man. I'm going to show you that you're absolutely wrong. So that's where the fun yeah. starts to me. Yeah, and that and you kind of took me where I was going to go next. I mean, I think something that's been interesting where over the last 48 hours since the, the draft ended, we're recording this on Monday, um, you're starting to see some of these mock drafts. I mean, they're the way too early mock drafts and all way that kind of thing. Yeah, way too early. I mean, we're all used to this cycle. It happens in everything. The NFL draft, it happens in college basketball, college football, everything. There's a way too early something immediately after whatever that thing ends. We're right back into it. But, uh, you know, there's been a handful of those where Brock Purdy has not just been projected to be a selection, but has I've seen him as high as number 11 on the draft network, which is – uh, kind of insane to me. Um, I mean, what is, is that insane to you guys too? It or seems is, like a stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm not like saying that Brock couldn't be drafted or something like that, but the idea of being the 11th pick in the NFL draft to me seems a little bit uh, out there. Would you agree with that, Jay? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Brock's, Brock's a great quarterback. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm not trying to say Brock's not a good player or anything yeah. like that. It's just like that's pretty – I mean, you're up there with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields at that point. Well, there's – I mean, to be drafted, and Jeff, I think talked about this before, it's a combination – the first two boxes you're going to check are uh, measure, measurables and production. So so Brock absolutely has the production uh, to be, be considered in, in those type of lofty standards, and he'll continue to. Um, measurables, that's where you start to – he's not 6'5". Uh, he's not going to run 4'5". Uh, and his arm doesn't blow you off the off the map with his, with his strength. For instance, uh, Jacob Park had quarterback measurables, right? Mm-hmm. Lack, lacked on everything else. But his arm, his size, uh, all that stuff matched. Brock doesn't have that, so he has to overcome the lack of that box being checked. But again, so, let's, so I mean, that's, it, that's it's not a, and to, to you all one little note on this to, to be the other devil's advocate, neither did Drew Brees. So like there's the, exactly. there's the, the, this is not a, a, there's no, for those listening, this is not like a prescriptive, obviously nothing about analyzing another human being for a job is obviously prescriptive. It's just a general ballpark that you're going to fall into. So, uh, the, the measurables part and the production part, yeah, they're, they're equal parts and they have to mesh. And then Jay, you go, go ahead. No, that, that you're exactly right, and, and there's there's those, those guys, you know, Darren Sproles didn't necessarily meet the measurables either, but was you know arguably Hall of Fame or best third down type back we've ever seen in the league. So, um, so there's certainly all those stories out there, but when it comes to later round guys, you, you can't ignore. And, and there's tons of busts who have all the me- measurables too. So, um, but but you can't ignore that when you start to try to project some kid from or a guy with two years of eligibility left, um, you know, into the NFL, he doesn't meet that box. But to Jeff's point earlier about our more draftable guys are coming in, um, yes, and part of that is because they have measurables and production. Charlie and Chase and um, those guys uh, all meet those those measurables and production together. So if you see those two things together, then then you can be kind of upset if somebody gets overlooked. Call me None crazy. Of the guys, go ahead. Call me crazy, but I think our best 
I say our as Iowa State. I think Iowa State's best draft prospect might be Mike Rose. Is that a crazy uh, thing? Because he's he's a he's a versatile, six foot three, two hundred and forty five pound linebacker that can run and play in space. He's a smart player. He's only played for two years so far, so he's only going to keep getting better. I mean, you put a, a six foot three uh, linebacker that has the chance or has the ability to put his hand on the ground and be a rush end and also play at Sam linebacker out in space. I think that guy, I mean, obviously Brock, depending on his year, if Brock goes out and has the year that he is by all awards list is expected to, there's no way you can even think about passing it up. I mean, even uh, that's, it's the, I mean, the, the Troy Smith thing. I mean, Troy Smith was, is a, I feel like a fair comparison to Brock where he was fast, but not the fastest dude on, on earth, accurate and had a good arm, but not the greatest arm of all time. He was just ungodly productive and you can't pass up on that. And he got drafted what first or second round by the Ravens. So this it team to Brock seems like that guy but I think strictly when you look at those two boxes of measurables and production I would uh, Mike seems like the best Mike seems like the best possibility of being a high draft pick if you're just putting a safe bet on the table yeah I'd, I'd probably put Charlie Kohler uh, one notch above him oh, okay just, I just because I, I think Charlie he needs to get uh, better at run blocking yeah, he needs to get better at that. But I, I used a, uh, I've been throwing out the example of him. He's he's, he's a very similar to Jason Witten when Jason Witten came out of Tennessee, and it took Parcells to transform him into the complete player uh, that he became. Uh, you know, maybe the greatest of all time. I'm not saying Charlie's going to be the greatest tight end of all time, but uh, but he's got yes, he needs to develop in that that area. But uh, but that can be done in today's games played a little bit differently than, mm-hmm. than it used to be. And, and so, there's, I don't, I don't know. I might be stealing your thunder, but I think there's a third box that has to be I, looked at, I um, have no thunder. which is <laughs> ever. I got no thunder. Uh, but there's, there's two boxes, which are measurables and production. And the third box is fit. So yeah. you, you have to be, you know, you could be, you know, Leonard Fournette, and Leonard Fournette, as the example, is or or Travis Henry, uh, or Derrick Henry. Sorry, Derrick Henry, not Travis Henry. Derrick Henry. So Derrick Henry is a downhill. Give him the ball 27 times, and in January he's going to be better than he was in September. And if you put him in Chip Kelly's Oregon offense, he's probably going to be good, but not great. I wouldn't. If I'm Chip Kelly in the Oregon offense, it didn't really apply in the NFL, but I mean, forgive me for the example, but if it's that type of scheme where it is, or Tom Brady in the, you know, the Lamar Jackson offense, if you're Tom Brady and you get, that's a better example, Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson offense, you're going to have to morph it around Tom Brady because he cannot do what Lamar Jackson does. So the measurables, as far as being able to throw it really well, is really good feed accuracy. The intangibles, obviously Tom Brady are unreal. Production is really good, but it's a bad fit. And so it doesn't make sense for him, for, for that specific team to, pick that specific player at that specific time so maybe you know you do have the best you know what a really you're you're not the the top chase young defensive end but you know jaquan bailey is a good defensive end maybe at the end of the season he's in that like third to fifth best defensive end on the on the on the draft board maybe that's the case and there's a team that's looking for a defensive end but they want him to play um, more like a Von Miller. And they want that position where it's an outside linebacker. He's kind of playing out in space. They would pass on Jaquan Bailey in that situation because even though the measurables are good and the production is good, the fit is bad. So when you're looking at these really high draft picks, I mean, there's a, there's a, it's, obvi- it's a calculated list, but like 
I, I think it's in the 20 something million dollars for the number one overall pick. And then like, it just goes down maybe like a mil and a half per, but if you're like the 18th overall pick, that's like a $13 million investment that someone's making. So they better be damn sure. I think Bill Polian, someone relayed Bill Polian's quote on the actual draft broadcast is if it's a first round pick, he better look good in a gold jacket. Like that's what they're looking for when they are taking a first round draft choice. So to me, I'm not trying to like crap on Brock Purdy, but there is a lot that has to go into that in order for that to happen, which is why I think like Charlie, if Charlie's really, to me, if he can work on his blocking a little bit, uh, then that's where he would obviously be one of your, uh, he would be the best one. I still am a little bullish on Mike or on, on just on Mike Rose because he is so versatile and can be built to be a Mike linebacker, a Sam linebacker, probably wouldn't be your true outside, outside in the NFL, but like a weeks, a will linebacker, I mean, he's a, he's a prototype for Will Linebacker. If Ben Neiman can be the starting uh, starting linebacker for the Chiefs, Mike Rose can be a starting linebacker for somebody. And so it, it seems to me that there is a – he would be your best choice. And, again, Charlie's there. Um, the other two tight ends, I think Saner probably – I don't know. It, it, it's weird. I, Saner, I think, has the, the lowest draft stock of them, but you might have three guys picked because those three dudes all have these – that weird – combination of size athleticism and production they just happen to be at the same position at the same school i think the chiefs are going to do everything they can to make sure that ben neiman is not their starting one of their starting linebackers going into next season how about uh you're you you chief you're chiefs guy i mean yeah i, I kind of like the chiefs i'm a vikings guy but uh okay so you were just close enough Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to be so much fun. Yeah, it's a good scheme fit. That's so much yeah, fun good fit in that fit. offense. Yeah, definitely. That's, yeah, the measurables and production and fit. Like, that is – I mean, it's, and that and Patrick Queen going to, to Similar to what Baltimore. It, it, David had been there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I, I think the thing that we can take away from this, and this is, I know, what when Jay and I first talked about this podcast – like two weeks ago, I think it was, um, talked about talking about the roster. And I think from just this conversation, you can take into I mean, consideration the fact that Iowa State's roster, top to bottom, probably is going to be as talented as it's been in a long time. I mean, it's, at least since I've been here uh, this next season. And, um, I mean, just the sheer number of guys that they have returning mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, big time potential Mm -hmm. and i i think we'd be remiss because i think everyone hearing that has like the little bug in the back of the ear being like is there going to be some games played we're working on the assumption that there is going to be and this is not based on any insider information i might be talking at my ass here but there's going to be some kind of something played because there's too much invested not to but we don't know what that's going to look like so we're going to have the conversation as if there is a as if there is assuredness that there's going to be there so i think to frame that we're going to live in our own little fantasy land and just pretend that football will be played as normal and or at least close to normal put our blinders on and act like nothing else is happening outside the real world because this is football and random things so i just and we know we and we do what we want to we I'm, live in our I'm own just little making football sure and random things because there, there's going to be some guy being like well you know they might not even happen like there's that guy I'm just addressing that guy. I don't care about that We're guy. We're context setting. I don't care about that guy. I'll just be quite honest with that. Sorry, Tim. Uh, uh, sorry that you didn't get to be involved in that conversation there, Jay. But we just had to set. We had to get some things out of the out of the way. A little marital spat here between me and Jay. Uh, me and Jeff. Wow. You. It, there's another. There's another person. Well. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Like I guess. Sorry about person. that, Jay. You can react to what I said uh, initially now, though. 
I, I, I constantly live in my own bubble. So uh, <laughs> my reality is what I project for everyone. So uh, so I, I'm expecting football, and I'm not going to steer clear from that because I'm watching football regardless. I'm yeah. watching that or tape no matter what. So it's all the same. Definitely. But, yeah, I mean, I, it, like I said, I just think that when you look at – and I feel like there's probably even some guys that we haven't gotten that much of a chance to see yet that – you know, have some of that potential mm-hmm. to this next season, you know, step into a role and all of a sudden we're sitting here like, man, that guy's that guy's pretty damn good. I mean, I think Sean Shaw now that he's going to have an opportunity to get to get some more catches. I think he's a guy that um, has really, really high potential. Uh, I think there's some of those young offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Ramos. Um, uh, Grant Triber. Yeah. Is, is one that I would throw out there. The offensive linemen, I think, Jay, you probably know more about this, but the offensive line is as as asterisks talented as Iowa State's had a really long time now whether they are as productive as well is yet to be seen because we don't know a lot of these guys we've seen Downing and we've seen um, Newell. Newell and that's it but we don't and we've seen a, a, a sparing touch of Ramos but like we don't know exactly what the rest of it's going to look like so are there any of the offensive linemen that we might not be sure of that do have that kind of upside talent Jay that uh, that we might be thinking of hey maybe there's a you know a kniffle that ends up with somebody something like that yeah you know for the 25th year in a row the offensive line is going to be a big catalyst for and the biggest question mark walking into the season. So uh, th- this time it's, it's 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 different though than what we've dealt with the last three four years because we're not uh, Iowa State's not in a position that it's uh, of having a lack of numbers and a lack of well-regarded talent. The talent is well-regarded uh, throughout. So now we just have lack of experience. So the most experienced guy is, is Downing, really. Uh, Newell maybe a little bit. Uh, we've heard that the walk on Schweiger's name for two or three years now as being somebody they like. I really wonder, Jeff, if, uh, if, if they don't – I like Newell at guard with Downing at guard, and then if Schweiger could be what Olsen was last year, mm-hmm. kind of that, that just hard competing first-level blocker um, at, at center – I like that interior of the line better than I do Newell, and but but I think they like Robert Hudson. So Hudson's he yeah. had a tiny bit of time last year, big mountain of a man, uh, first level blocker in my opinion. So you guys Ramos, I watched I actually watched him this morning a little bit and a couple snaps that he got and was watching him against Tech a little bit. Really like what I see. Loved him out of high school. I think he's just kind of we haven't seen him yet, but you feel good about him being in the line. So now you got that right side. Knettle, who was solid, Meeker was Meeker. Um, how do, who's competing there? Robert Hudson, I think, and Schweiger are the two guys you look at first. Grant Triber's got tremendous skill, great-looking body, good kid. Has he matured enough after only one year? We'll see. They felt comfortable with Downing. They could feel comfortable with him. I like him for that position. Uh, Remsburg, kid out of Valley, is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked, I really liked his footwork coming out. I think he's, uh, I know they like him as well. Um, I think Hufford, he's a kid out of uh, um, Ohio. Yeah. Then in the same class, uh, like him as well. And then you got, you have to mention Sean Foster. He's been there a long time. Uh, sometimes it takes guys a longer time. I, I don't know. He, he's he's kind of a, you know, got a lot to 
lot to work on, mm-hmm. but but you know they're going to give him a shot just because he's in his fifth year in the program. Um, but I think those are those are your guys. The best news about the offensive line is the talent level and the competition level for that position group is where you want it. Mm-hmm. And it has the opportunity to move forward even though there's new faces. Yeah, I mean, this will be the first time since – Campbell has been here where all five guys on that offensive line will be people that he recruited which I think is I think he's earned enough trust at this point on some level I think is notable just when you know what they've done I mean and so many of them we haven't seen yet Mm -hmm. you know which means a lot of them have had time to you know marinate a little bit I think Robert Hudson will be a redshirt sophomore so he'd be a third year guy in the program well and and Hudson he's one of those guys and I talk about one of the biggest humans I've ever seen in my life you know there's those technicians and then there's the maulers and he's a mauler he's not a technician he is so his issue would be in cleaning up his technique but you talk about as a monster of a human he's like six eight like 340 and enormous and especially as a guard he's really tall so um, I, I think, you know, depending on guard or tackle, I think the, the thing with Newell is he is flexible and athletic enough to play anywhere. Like he theoretically could also be a right tackle if you have Hudson to his inside, because what Newell, um, my sort of understanding, what Newell is a technician, he's not a mauler. He's not going to be a guy just one-on-one space blocks, a, a three tech, 14 yards down the field. If Rob has a chance, Big Rob has a chance. He's going to base block a dude 14 yards down the field. It's just the ability and technique to clean up everything else and deal with kind of these funky twists and moves and stuff like that and, and slants and whatever. So, you know, Newell is kind of, the, to me, the X factor of where where this line ends up because where does he end up? Because you could play center guard or tackle. I think that left guard spot is pretty secure. I mean, that's downing. I would think your left tackle is probably Ramos just because he is, again, he's a really good athlete for his size dude moves really well and then I think Rob theoretically Rob Hudson would be your right guard and then you have Downing and Rob Hudson as your guards that's fun and then you just have to find whether or not Newell plays that tackle spot and you put in uh, somebody else at center or does he play center and you move somebody else out there or do you you know where do you bump around so I think Newell is the x factor in where that offensive line sits but in that there are guys in there, I would think Downing, if we're talking about like, you know, piggybacking out the NFL draft, NFL draft conversation, I would think Downing and I would think uh, Ramos would be potential theoretical if they start getting as productive as what we think they can be in the positions that they are, could be draft pick guys. Right, Jay? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, we're talking about eight to nine players. Yeah. When, when Campbell got here. Throwing a lot of names out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, just that. Jay's getting a little choppy. Yep, Jay's getting a little choppy out here. Didn't hear what you said to finish that out, but we'll trust that it was very insightful. Uh, you have me back. Yeah, we got you back now. No, it just was just for a second. That was the best, was the best point about football I've ever made. In my oh life. my gosh! Oh, son of a... We just missed out on Dang a lot it. of wisdom. Uh, I think the other thing on the offense, the other position to me on the offense that's so interesting. And you bring some guys back in Tariq Milton, and I mentioned Sean Shaw before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you lose a guy like Michael Petway, who was really good for you last year, you lose obviously Deshante Jones, who's one of the most prolific receivers in the program's history. I mean, there's going to be a lot of production to replace there, and I feel like, you know, it's it's like where you lose those guys, but I'm not even that 
like worried about it. I don't know if that's like the right way to put it, but you, I've seen f- glimpses of some of those other guys mm-hmm. to where you're like, man, I feel like that guy can step up and play a bigger role. Like I feel like Tariq can step in and be more of a, you know, a Deshante type guy that can mm-hmm. put up big numbers like that. I think that uh, Sean Shaw can step in there and put up numbers. I mean, for a while there, literally the only thing he did was catch touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, Joe well, he's Skates, a matchup nightmare. Yeah. Joe Skates, I think, is another guy that, that has room to elevate his game this next season. And then I think, I mean, I think that that Xavier Hutchinson that they're bringing in from, uh, from down at Blinn, I mean, I think he's the real deal as well. Well, and the thing is, the only thing that I'm going to, that I'm going to be, as far as offensive question marks, you, you know, running back seems pretty set. Mm-hmm. Quarterback seems pretty set. Uh, the tight end seem pretty set. The offensive line, we have an idea of like the eight guys that are going to play-ish and just which five of the eight end up playing and where. Um, and the receivers, I think we know generally who is going to be in there. The question mark that I would have with the receivers group is the thing that Petway and Jones brought is they were tough as hell. Like, yeah. absolutely gonna, I mean, pit bull on a chain type tough, where if you're, it's like the Allen and Hakeem, they would do the same thing, where if you're gonna, it, it, you know, Iowa State wants to be a run first offense. Receivers have got to be absolute bad dudes blocking corners. And Deshante and Petway were those guys. I mean, Tariq is, but he doesn't have. He, I guess t- as of yet, it's, uh, he's not stuck out as like the guy that's absolutely, you know, it's going to stick his nose in front of a safety where um, I think skate or excuse me, um, Sean Shaw is, has that like bulldog mentality to him. He just got to figure out how to use that long body to actually do it and start. Then you can start kind of punking dudes, but the attitude of being a receiver is being on the team rather than being a receiver is being a touchdown destination. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like it has to be a different mindset for an offense to wholly be successful. And I think having guys like Tariq and like Shaw and more importantly, most importantly, Brock Purdy with that group, if somebody put in Darren Wilson, for example, like let's say he ends up being a Z say Darren Wilson ends up being the guy that's there. And he kind of loafs a little bit trying to block and Brees gets caught by that guy. I would assume I've not seen him at practice, but I would assume Brock chews his ass to say, look what you just caused. This is your fault. Pick it up. And so I'm guessing that that happens by Brock's leadership. But I think the question mark that I'd have talent wise, it's a wash from last year to this year between, you know, Petway and Jones and losing those guys and getting what you have in. I think it's a wash. Maybe, I don't know, upgrade is is a weird term because you can't see a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But I think the talent is not a question. It's does the attitude continue from the past since, basically since Allen was here. The attitude of having tough, fast, wide receivers has been present in Ames. Does that continue when Deshante Jones and LaMichael Petway are gone? Jay, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Like, well, when you're a receiver, to make a conscious decision, be a good blocker. Who, who's going to make that decision? I think that will determine who wins the top. Like, a kid like Darian Porter out of Edendor, then, and he's still, he watches high school. The time he played at safety is a very good and has nasty streak and compete on the X. Uh, we have guys with body type, but I think I really think that separator, it, to the extent some of the hands are 
a potential factor. That's exactly who decided to block them because out there now with Bree because you got there. Jay, you've turned into a robot, dude. Yeah, we we can only hear like every other word that you say. And it's very tinny. Did you turn into a robot officially? Okay. I think uh, you turned into a robot. We, no, I mean, I think we're good because most of it's like, it's fine. But it's just, it's like been like the last 30 seconds, all of a sudden you just, yeah, you sound like a robot. It sounds like your programming has, uh, yeah. you need to, has faltered. The solar cells get a little bit weary from being inside. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I mean, I I can cut all this out, so I'm not that worried about taking a break. I'm just okay. saying. Yeah. Yeah, he's like completely gone, I think, now. Okay. I think maybe reconnecting wouldn't be the worst idea. Yeah, I'll try and call you back. And basically, yeah. you could restart from the point when you were like, Jay. So you could essentially just pretend like that conversation, because there is a pause there that you could insert the... the all right, well, we lost Jay Jordan, so we, uh, we're just going to have to round this out, you and me, old school. I, well, I don't want to have to talk to you. I was excited. I just came to do this because I wanted to talk to Jay. I mean, you can talk to Jay literally anytime you want to. Yeah, I know I can, but I didn't want to talk to you. I just wanted to record a conversation with Jay. And you just happened to be here. Yeah, it's funny because you literally got here and you talked to me for a couple minutes and then you sat down in your chair and you just like looked at your phone. Didn't even talk to me. Yeah, no, I don't like you as no. a person. Just as a, as a human being. So you're a detestable person. I just am really taken aback that this is only coming up after, what? Three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half, four years <laughs> of doing this podcast. All of a sudden now, now in the middle of the global pandemic is when you're going to profess your deep undying hate for me <laughs> it's 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 the pistons bulls man you are your isaiah thomas to my scotty pippen i'm not gonna give myself jordan i'm not jordan i might be pippen i mean this pure athleticism was like isaiah really i'm not okay we're not even gonna get into this uh let's finish this thing let's let's wrap this up and, and try and stay on topic as long as we possibly can which i know is difficult for not you gonna happen uh all right so we were talking about the receivers i think we probably got about as far as we could into that um the defense i mean the defensive line looked like it was going to be a question mark coming into this year you know 12 months ago mm -hmm. when we were looking at everything that they would lose after last season but you know when you get Jaquan back um when you find out what we did I mean obviously Zach Peterson had to play a lot more than what we probably expected him to mm -hmm. uh and you know obviously you still have any as well so well and Will McDonald we didn't realize what uh they really had in him either so I mean I think obviously that the you know nose mm -hmm. defensive tackle position whatever you want to call it is a question mark but it's like when you've got some cornerstone pieces like what they do have then I think it's hard to be too incredibly discouraged about that position yeah and I I think the yeah the nose is really the only question mark to me on the entire defense mm -hmm. um, other than what do they look like generally speaking like the personnel is there and we've talked about that a lot yeah, the, yeah. Pers the personnel is there at each position it's just what does a general overall defense look like so now it's interior defensive line um because the safeties are 
I think the safeties are quality. You got Eisworth, who's probably the best safety in the Big 12. I mean, maybe there's somebody else out there, but he's probably one of the best safeties in the country. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, two defensive ends that are already have been all Big 12. Plus, you got Peterson that has the capacity to be one of those guys. Your linebackers are as deep as Iowa State's been for a really long time. Uh, your corners are solid. It's just the interior of that defensive line is what does that look like? And I, it's a really critical position. Not necessarily critical. It's a really important position uh, to be good at because your def- your linebackers need to be able to be free specifically in the offense that they run because they could only run that or excuse me that defense the only defense they could run because when you have that three down front you and you have ray lima you don't need another defensive lineman because what one dude's not taking ray lima yeah. uh, as far as moving him off the ball one dude's not moving ray lima two guys are going to move ray lima which leaves one guy not on a linebacker therefore marcel spears makes a tackle so you've got you need to have somebody in there if you're going to run that style of defense that is a you know a bull you're just a guy that's not moving but if you're going to kind of tweak the defense around then you have some flexibility in filling that hole so i think that's the cool thing with the defense um the way that Haycock runs things is he's going to flip it to what his personnel has. It's a square pig, square hole. It's the Lincoln Riley thing that, we t- that I talk about all the time is he's going to take what is there and go, how do we make the best of these situations of, of these ingredients? How do I make the best cake? And so with him looking at this, maybe Latrell Bankston he come, like comes in and he needs a year to get himself into a position and they don't really have a true, uh, they don't have a Ray Lima nose guard. They don't have a Jamal Johnson nose guard. They have, you know, a couple guys that can play three technique. They don't have a true zero nose. Okay, well, it looks like you're not going to be able to play that same defense with a zero nose because that's kind of one of the cornerstone pieces of that defense. So it's going to have to move. So the defense, it's just what does the interior line personnel look like? But like you mentioned, there are four what I would call defensive end bodies that are totally capable of doing stuff with McDonald, Awazarike, Bailey, and Peterson. You've got those four, those Zach Peterson. You've got those four yeah. guys for sure. And then a guy, the guys like Tucker Robertson and Blake Peterson have also played plenty and Isaiah Lee. So those guys have played. It's just what do they end up, like where do they end up going? Because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And, I mean, it's a lot like the offensive line. Right. Like we throw a lot of names out there, but it's like how do you, how do you mix and match them to what right. you need them to do? What's the best combination here? It's, yeah. it's not necessarily saying that any of these guys are um, – they're not, none of them are bad. It's just they'd be bad at specific positions if you put them in bad situations. Like Will McDonald is not a three technique. He's not a guy you'd want to put – as a true every single down defensive end who's inside the tackle at least not today not today yeah he's 215 pounds like that he is he's or at least the last time we saw him yeah he's giving up 100 pounds to an offensive tackle if he gets double teamed he's getting moved way out of here just strictly based on i mean mass like he's 700 pounds a dude is going to move 200 out of the way yeah so when you have that kind of personnel you want to put in positions to succeed and so i'm just that's the thing that to me that is the interior defensive line what does that look like paired with same question what does the defense look like yeah because you're gonna haycock is going to make it match with what it needs to match with and that's where i think losing spring probably hurts you a lot just because they would have that would have been their opportunity to i mean and this is assuming like when they come back in the fall you know, it's time to like hit the ground running basically like it's a normal fall camp. Right. And 
you know, the spring is when they would have had those opportunities where it's like, you know, what does it look like, uh, you know, when we put any in the middle and you got Jaquan and Zach Peterson at the ends or something like that? Or like, mm-hmm. what's it look like when we've got – If we uh, played, the, you know, that yeah. three down and put Will McDonald as a stand-up linebacker, yeah. what does that look like? Right. So it's like just those opportunities to kind of just see, you know, how can – you know, what can we do when we put someone here? How do they respond to those things? Uh, and just – you know, what does it look like? And, it, it, and, and that's where I think they lose some of that stuff now. The good and the bad of that is you have a team. It that also is, probably takes out the element of being able to overthink some of those things, though, too. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's necessarily I don't know if this coaching staff really overthinks stuff a lot. I think they put the appropriate amount of conscientiousness into it. Um, the thing that I would say, though, as far as um, the tinkering around with stuff, this team is built to be okay with tinkering around. Mm-hmm. So, like, the reason why I say that is when your back seven is really, really talented, you can do whatever you want with the front seven so long as you find a good enough fit. So, like, your linebacking core, we've talked about the depth that between Rose and Vance and Hummel, um, and then uh, you, you have, like, three or four backup guys. I forget the guys. the Pulvermacher, Vaughn. Yeah, Pulvermacher and Vaughn were the two guys that I, was, yeah. that I was thinking of. You have those two guys specifically that are backups. So you have, like, five capable linebackers with three of them are probably all Big 12 players with Hummel, Rose, and Vance. And so you have those three. And then your safeties, you've got Greg Eisworth plus then probably Arnold Azuna. You've got another two or three other guys that are probably pretty good. Um, DJ Miller. DJ Miller is going to be probably your other starter. And then your corners can play man. So your safeties are flexible enough that they can be in the box or out of the box. Your corners are good enough and they play press man so you can kind of take them out. Uh, you can They play man well so you can kind of take them out of the equation. You have linebackers between Hummel and Rose. Vance is more of a true in-the-box guy, but you have Hummel and Rose that can play in space. You've got Will McDonald that can play in space-ish. You've got guys that can float around. So your back seven is more or less capable of letting your front seven kind of screw around with trying stuff. So mm-hmm. even if weeks one and two you know they they think that this is a look that's going to work and against you know your first couple opponents you try this you know maybe it is that three four look and maybe they try it and maybe it doesn't work and they go okay we have to change this the back seven is going to have to take a little bit of practice reps but all of those guys are experienced they've played at least a full season so they know what they're going to be doing they know yeah. how they're going to have to move they have rose and eyesworth that are for sure even if people are un- like DJ Miller has played some. He hasn't played a ton. He might not be in the right spot. 12 is going to look over and go, hey, back up. Yeah. You know, play safety. Look at number two. Play, you know, hard jointed. Like, you're, he's going to pl- be able to give him a little bit of guidance because you have 23 and you have 12 that are significant. Well, and you're bringing Lawrence White back, too. Yeah, so you've got guys that are comfortable playing in any situation. So the defensive line, um, just like Jay was saying, it's not question marks as far as talent. It's question marks as far as fit and like organization who fits where so the defense i think is an interesting little challenge but it is there and they are shorted by not having spring and they are shorted by not having i doubt that they get in before july so like maybe august they're actually able to do like team activities and i don't know what that's going to look like but they're going to when they start this kind of yeah that's that's best case scenario yeah that reconfiguring whatever that reconfiguring is when they start coming back together they're going to have to start trying different stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, that, that also goes, and again, a more elephant in the room. When this starts, it's going to be a completely different season than what any other season is because there hasn't been this preparation going ahead of time. There's not spring ball. There's not summer stuff. So the teams that are going to succeed are the teams that are led within. That's how this program is built. 
So this team is programmed to Brock Purdy is a leader. Greg Eisworth is a leader. Guys that are going to text each other and be like, hey, you know, make sure you get yourself to weight your mount to go work out, whatever. They're going to have everyone organized uh, because it's not a top down. You have to do this. It's a bottom up. We're going to do it together. So your experienced leaders or your experienced teams that have internal leadership are they going to be the ones that are successful in a weird season like this. Well, hey, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you got to feel pretty good about everything happening as normal considering the fact that uh, Story County opens up Hey-o. next week. So Yeah, I saw that. Polk County is not. We are not. We, uh, 15th. Yeah, May 15th is the current date, but I don't – I guess we'll see. I've got a – yeah, I've got a business in Polk County. I'm – I, you're I ready. You're that. ready to go. <laughs> watch that with bated breath. You're, you're you are ready to get back to get back to it. But uh, no, I think hopefully we'll uh, be back at uh, back at our normal. Maybe not normal yet. Fifty percent of our capacity, uh, and then three weeks or so. I hopefully. hope so. Uh, you and I never go away from our full capacity. I'm always running on 100%. Always running on 100%. Which my 100% is like the 40% of most people. Jay Jordan's uh, phone was not running on 100% today. It was sitting in the hot Texas sun and led to technological issues. But we powered through. We got the podcast done. They had to listen to us for a little bit. People haven't farted in a month. Why do you have to say it like that? Because it's, a, it's the acronym. It is the acronym. Yeah. It's on the shirts. Right. It's on our Football and Random Things shirts. It can be bought at teamcloset.com slash cyclonefanatic. I don't think we've ever even talked about that, have we? I don't think we have because I think the, uh, the first shirt yeah, came you out. You just, just got yours. Yeah, I did. Congratulations. Thank you. I hope you wear it for every episode. We'll have to wear them like uniforms. But just with a name tag. Yeah. I got to spell my name right. Damn it. All right. Thanks, Jeff. This is, I think we're done now. <laughs> <laughs> you tapped out the good, attention span. It was, it was good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too, other human being. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to uh, remember how to talk, at least for 49 minutes. It took, it took a little bit of stumbling to do it, but we did it. We stumbled out of the block. We got it done, though. We did it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Jay Jordan, for joining us. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.